It's episode 25 of the Improv London podcast with this week's guest, Liam Brennan. This ain't gonna be easy. Welcome to episode 25. I had a great time talking to Liam, as you'll soon find out. We covered his academic stand-up comedy qualifications, his work as part of the Science of Living Things and Countdown to Doom, and the new group he's coaching. We also talk about what could be done to develop the improv scene in London, which is strange because Steve Rowe of Hoopla, and guest on episode one, asked exactly that question on Facebook. Steve wrote, Hi everyone, what other things could we do to help groups that form during courses stay together after the course? Any ideas welcome, I'm working on it this week. Now, I like to think that this is a problem that Steve is going to solve this week. Um, that would be great. I suspect he's writing a blog post on it, which will also be helpful. So we had various people sharing great advice, and I just want to share that here because these things get so easily lost. Rachel Marriott said, Social prof, let's do something as a group that's fun. See a show at the Miller, go to that person's birthday, have a flipping sleepover. Sleepovers in improv, there's not enough of those. Jacqueline Black, a star of episode 9 of the Improv London podcast, said, Is there something more to be done on pooling knowledge on mechanics of running shows, getting gigs? Could be as simple as a Facebook group. Carly Brazier, episode 19, said, Then there's all the admin, that's in capital letters by the way, that comes with these things. Who is paying for rehearsal space up front? And how is everyone paying them back? Who gets in touch with the coach to tell them what you want to work on this week? And then there's Anna Caro from City Impro. Don't break up. Be like the sugar babes and replace members as people drop out but keep the name, brand, mission of the group. Nick Oram said, Have a set day, time to rehearse that doesn't change. And then perhaps my favourite comment is from Phil Lunn. One night at the Miller a while ago, I went upstairs after the shows had finished, and there was a group who I hadn't met before on the stage, who'd just done a first course, I think with Monkey Toast. No one was throwing them out, so they were just doing scenes and practising. People, like me, would drop in, mainly to avoid the dance music downstairs and take part and or coach. What a brilliant idea! So I hope there's some ideas there that inspire you to get involved online and uh, talk to people. We've got a lot of knowledge out there already, and let's... Uh, Let's see if we can develop the uh, Improv London scene. Okay, now it's time for Liam. Liam Brennan, welcome to the Improv London podcast. Hello Stuart, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. We find ourselves in the the alleyway outside the St Christopher's (laughs) Inn. And uh, we've been discovering quite how noisy this part of London is. I know, was it? We went to the George? Is that what it's called? St. So, George? Yes. Yeah, yes. it was really busy. Yes. Thursday is the new Friday, apparently. Yes, yes. So. You're in the Science of Living Things. I am. Tell everybody about the Science of Living Things from your perspective. From my perspective, um, the Science of Living Things are a, just to use really the technical terms, a long-form group that uses a thing called French edits. Right. What are French edits? I'm glad you asked, you. <laughs> uh, French edits are essentially, and I might be bastardising the term a little bit, but it's essentially when the edit is the initiation. So there isn't a tag or a sweep. Instead, we go straight into the next scene. Yeah. So the guys that have uh, are doing a scene, as soon as they see... Um, an offer to start a new scene, they vacate the stage right. and then an entirely new scene starts. Wow. It's really cool. It's like it, it does shape the show in a really specific way. It does it like I really recommend people try it because it because not that many people do it and it's quite it's really weird that um not many people do it because it's really fun and it's really good for training you to do certain things. Like because because the the edit is the initiation, it's the one and the same thing. It's like you need to be, there is no dead space on stage, so you immediately have to throw yourself out there, and then your scene partner or scene partners need to throw themselves into it as well and just quickly establish something or make a really bold offer at the start. Um, So how do you know? So, okay, so 
uh, how do you know if someone's walking onto the stage, whether they're initiating a new scene or whether they're just walking onto the scene? So, that's why it's always a thing of big, bold offers because you're exactly right if it's something that could feasibly fit into that scene then the players already on stage will just go oh there's someone else joining us yes uh, which has happened a couple of times <laughs> um which which can be amazing but it can also be like oh my god what's going on <laughs> the scene's tanked the scene's oh, no. tanked um but that doesn't usually happen we're quite in tune with each other now but it's so so yeah it's a big bold offer and there are also cheats as well like if you use a different part of the stage um one really easy way is if you have like a standing scene um someone at the back brings the chairs forward because that's an obvious we're in a different location right so yeah it's uh, and big characters that's why in our shows there are a lot of big characters because it makes it so obvious then like Especially if the big character's out of, completely out of context of the scene that's preceding it, it's super obvious that we're going in a different direction. So that's why the format's also really useful, because it means you always have to change up. It forces you to do it, otherwise it just won't work. Otherwise we'll just end up with one scene, which is just a massive clusterfuck, essentially. <laughs> just people coming on stage, bringing chairs forward, screaming, I'm a clown, I'm a clown! <laughs> Which does occasionally happen, <laughs> to be fair. But um, they, they can also be very wonderful, as long as it's not every scene or every show. So, uh, what do you think you bring to the science of being the things? Because I would say, you know, a good group is made up of different people with different styles. Yeah. What does what what can we expect if we're seeing you in the Science of Living Things show? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> this podcast is no place for modesty, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I did think you'd ask me that. So. <laughs> like, oh, what do I say? Um, I guess I'm quite a, I'm quite a technical improviser, I think, and that's not that's not really by design. I think that's just the way I am. Yeah. Um, so I I quite like seeing the show as a whole and sort of thinking, oh, callback would be really great here and storing that in the back of my mind. Um, I also do, I always, especially with Science of Living Things show, I always lead with my voice, um, which is quite um, to my detriment. I always start, I'm American about 40% of my scenes. That might be a modest number, but that's just a quick way for me to get into character because right. I'm quite um, flexible with my voice and I'm, qu I'm quite good at doing accents, so it's a shame then that I only do American accents. <laughs> uh, so it's either uh, Northern American or Southern American, and then sometimes I might do New York or Boston, sometimes I can slightly tune it towards that. Um, I'm quite gamey as well, I think. I'm quite... Yeah, I'd say I'm a quite a gamey improviser. So what do you mean by being quite a gamey improviser? So, um, what, so in the most, no, how would I describe it? So I guess I prefer, rather than unusual thing, the fun thing. So the first thing that's like, oh, this is fun to do in this scene, let's keep to this. Because sometimes I think in a lot of improv shows, especially with quite new people, I don't think people have that confidence of when this first funny, unusual, shiny idea, whatever you want to call it, I think quite often people think that's not good enough right. and they'll move on to the next idea yes. and then that's not good enough and move on to the, you have a five minute scene where we've covered yes. the life, universe and everything in yes. between. Yes. Whereas actually your first idea was brilliant, Yes. you just needed to invest more in it and just spend more time with it. It's the idea of deepening rather than widening. Yeah, scene. exactly. Because that's the thing. It's like it can it will be super wide, but really shallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, so you won't really, and it's hard to play that. Like sometimes, people, like if you sort of dismiss the idea that came beforehand, then where do you go from there, really? Yeah. Then you literally do have to. It's like you're starting a new scene five times within the same scene. It makes it so hard. Yes. Like so hard. <laughs> Whereas if you focus on like the dynamic between um, the people in the scene with like. I guess relationships never work for that or a game was the fun thing in this scene and you really focus on that and explore that then you've got quite a, a nice deep scene where we can really explore the comic reality of that of that scene that's what that's what I quite like um, to touch on um, 
because as you said, I, I auditioned um, uh, a lovely bunch of improvisers um, only a couple of days ago, actually. And one of the things that I said at the start, because I wanted to sort of say uh, what I'm kind of looking for, and this was kind of my sort of philosophy on improv, which is not necessarily the right philosophy, but it's my philosophy, is that I think it's super commitment to the scene and character. So I think it's, I think the best improv scenes are when you really commit to that reality and don't sort of comment on it right. by, by gagging and making yeah. jokes. They can be really funny, yes. but when the show's entirely made up of that, yes. it's so hard. Yes. Like, like to use an example, I guess, well, analogous example, really. If you ask someone to sort of talk about what's funny about I don't know, internet dating, chances are they'll be able to come up with like two or three observations. Whereas if you ask someone to make like five jokes about internet dating, that's really hard. <laughs> like, that is really hard. And you get super in your head about it. Whereas if you just commit to the character and the scene, I think like that is so much easier because then you can explore without sort of like commenting on the scene without mystery science theatering the scene I guess <laughs> yeah without getting too meta and uh, yeah yeah sort of breaking the reality which is fun but it should it, I don't think it should be a standard no, bearer no. because it's just that's hard yes like it's really hard and it's diminishing returns really yes yes um, and you mentioned being good at um, accents and things like that is this something you've practiced or is it just something um yeah, um, when I was a teenager <laughs> in secondary school, I like one of my big heroes was Alistair McGowan, and, like, and all the guys from Dead Ringers and stuff like that. So I just, I don't think it's so much now, but I used to think impressionists were so funny. I, it used to impress me so much, and I was like, I want to be like these guys. So in in secondary school, a lot of the time, what I do is like do impressions and stuff. Oh, really? And, and when people would laugh at it, it's like, oh, I'll do more of it, and I got <laughs> and I got better at it. Um, I kind of I kind of wish I had that mentality now, <laughs> which is why I'm American in forty percent of my scenes now. So you don't have the work ethic you had when you were at school uh, to work on your accents. Uh, certainly for accents. <laughs> I think I have a better work ethic than I was yeah. at school, but my accent work could use work. I'd love to spend like any time I'm because I work in a school, so any time I'm on my school holidays, I sort of think, right, this time I'm actually going to spend like half an hour a day learning a new accent and it never happens <laughs> at least you have the intention i there. have the intent the intentions are good but the the body is weak I suppose, <laughs> or the voice is weak i don't know but that's really interesting uh, the idea of trying to perfect your craft is that something that you would say you try and do yeah yes yeah. I, sp I spend a lot of time um at the moment, sometimes to my detriment, doing different projects and stuff like that. Yeah. But I love it so much. Like I do want to get better, and I think I've. I like the term lifelong white belt because you never, you're never going to master performance as a whole, and certainly not improv. And occasionally, I might catch myself going, "Oh yeah, I'm doing really well at this. Like I've cracked it," and then I'll have like a really crap show, <laughs> or like feel really unhappy about something in my performance, or go to like a, a course and sort of go, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm quite shallow in these areas and stuff like that." But yeah, I'm I'm super conscious of trying to improve, sometimes to a fault. I yeah. Think. But I think I think a lot of people are like that. I think that's what I guess that's what everyone's like. But I think performers are probably worse, <laughs> especially switching from because the the, the the performers' ego just can go so far and yes. forward and so far back. Yes. I remember um, at university there was this girl who was so funny at doing stand up. Um, because, yeah, weirdly, at my university, we had a master's in stand-up. You had a master's I in stand-up? Yeah, wow. I, ha I have a master's in stand-up. You have a master's I in stand-up? I do have a master's wow. in stand-up. Wow, I, I did not mad. know that. That's amazing. We were taught by a doctor of stand-up comedy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> what it did you do? 
so you you so you finished with you can tell a story about this, this oh yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah it is really interesting and then i'm gonna ask you what you did on your course yeah, yeah so it is really weird that that exists and i think it still exists um yeah there was this um girl who was really funny she was so funny but she had such low self-esteem that she would get off stage and go oh, i suck i suck i shouldn't be doing this it's like but but you killed it yeah, yeah, yeah. and also I, I don't I don't think she was being um, disingenuous or anything but I'm not sure you can really believe that you're that crap at something and carry on doing it um, to, to and I guess I mean like she must have realized she was pretty good at least because why would you put yourself through that otherwise? Or, or is it the fact that you think, well, I don't know, it's, sometimes it becomes normalised, these things. So if you go up there and get a certain amount of laughs for the complete beginner, that's amazing. But maybe, I don't know, uh, you've done yeah. it for a while, you think, well, I can get, I don't know. I think, that's, that, I think that's a good, actually, I think that's a really good point. So I think that's true. I think I used to be, certainly speaking for myself, I used to be a lot more satisfied with good shows. Yeah. Um, but if if you're in the lucky position when you have a bunch of good shows in a row, you do kind of go a little bit cold to it. You sort of think, oh, well, I'm sort of not progressing, really. Yeah. But it's, maybe that's just greed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because, you know, I think, first of all, turning up to an improv class, that's a pretty major achievement. And then, you know, actually joining a group. And then, you know, actually appearing on stage at all you could do the worst improv ever although I think uh, I've done that actually so you probably won't I've that. also done that <laughs> <laughs> you're not alone um, but you know even just having got up on stage and done some at all is a major achievement but it's like as you say once you get used to kind of you know a certain level it can easily I don't know yeah I guess so I, I suppose that's quite useful but it can also be so if you're doing quite nicely sometimes you can grow quite dissatisfied with that and yeah, as I say, it's, it's good and bad, I think. So what do you do when you get dissatisfied with your lot? Um, just sulk at home for a bit, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know, really. I sort of... I've heard loads of people say, I think it's the Millikan's Law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah where yeah, you're only yeah. allowed to, uh, to feel good or bad about a show for... Till 11 o'clock the next day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really lovely Good or way bad, of, you just have to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you can. You should probably even shorten that for bad shows because otherwise you just, you know, you you stew on it and it's not. Yeah. It's not very. I mean, there's learning from a bad show yes. and then there's just staying in a really foul mood because of it, which isn't particularly useful, really. No, certainly not. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, this this MA. So you're you've got an MA in stand-up comedy. I do. Yeah. You're professionally qualified. I guess in comedy. Uh, I guess I am. Yes. What did you do on that course? That sounds the best course ever. It was a really good course. <laughs> Where was it? It was at the University of Kent. All right. Cool. Um, and so yeah, you would do three years of uh, drama drama and theatre studies so it's mixed practical and mixed um, um, the academic side of it so essay writing and all that kind of stuff and yeah let me give you a term by term breakdown because I think that'll make it easier than me sort of waffling on about it um, so first term you would perform um, semi-regularly over an 11 week period uh, depending on the, si the, the size of your class I think we had about I think we had about seven or eight people, maybe nine. Um, so we ended up performing nine out of those 11 weeks. So every week you would need to come up with a new five minutes of material to perform to a student audience. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, it was great, Yeah. Um, but it was crazy. It was so stressful. <laughs> yeah, no um, God. Because, I mean, by the end of it, I guess... Oh, we had 45 minutes of material. Not all of it was good, yeah. but we had 45 minutes of material. Um, and it really was an amazing experience, but it's like, yeah, it was just so up and down, yeah. especially during that term. Then in the second term... Well, how so? Before we go to the second yeah, term. Yeah, sure. So what, what is your stand-up style? Um, what, 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 what was your kind of, you know... Um, 
I was quite downbeat, I guess. Yeah. Quite, I guess, I don't really want to say low energy. So low energy, but with high points. And I'd sort of do little skits and stuff like that. And I like doing voices, much like I do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stupid little voices in my set. Um, and apparently, uh, this isn't really coming from me. This is coming from, like, apparently, I used to intellectualize about stuff quite a lot. Oh, that's which interesting. Was, yeah, it was interesting. It was, a, it was an interesting note to get because it wasn't really what I was going for. I think maybe after I heard that, I tried to play on it more, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so does is there a parallel there between your stand-up and your improvisation? Do you intellectualize, because you say you're a technical improviser. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's a parallel there. Maybe. Maybe there is. Um, I remember someone said after a show I was quite witty. And I, <laughs> I'm not... But I didn't really know what to make of that. It's like, oh, I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> right. It's, okay. a, it's a lovely thing to be told. Yes. But it's sort of like, oh, does that mean I'm just commenting on the scenes and making jokes rather than being committed? Oh. I don't know. So it's sort of like, it's a lovely thing to be told, but is it the ideal? Well, I mean, what is the ideal, really? But, um, but it's a lovely note, all the same. <laughs> yes, yes. But it, I did think a lot about it. <laughs> so you intellectualise the comment. I, oh, no. <laughs> it's right. I do, I do. <laughs> Intellectualise badly about things. <laughs> cool. So, turn two. Turn two. Um, so, um, so one of the things was joint for across the the year, but this is something that really hit a stride into term two, which is called the Open Mic Project, where what we would do is we would have to book a minimum of ten outside gigs. Um, I think half of which had to be outside of Canterbury where we were doing the course, because <laughs> right. yeah. otherwise, yeah, yeah, otherwise it's, just, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just performing to the same crowd all the time. So I had to go to, um, well, I live in London, but at the time I was living in Canterbury. So so for a weekend I might do a couple of shows, like um, I might do a Friday and Saturday show or a Sunday show if there was one going. I don't think there were that many going. but. So I had to stay at home for that weekend and then do those sets. And then we would need to um, transcribe, like, I think, one of those sets and sort of analyse and stuff. So it was both... Which, which for you was quite, you know, okay to do, due to your intellectualisation. I, I did enjoy it. It was really interesting. Um, it was genuinely very interesting. It was weird, sort of writing your own script retrospectively. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that was really interesting because yeah, it was it was it, like the whole of the the four year course really. It was a mixture of practical and it was mainly practical, but there was also written elements. So you, you'd get academic about stand up, which was interesting and not really a tapped into field. Um, which is why the guy I was talking about, the doctor of comedy, um, Holly Double. Um, that's I think he, that's he carved out his niche. <laughs> yeah. Because there's been enough stand up now that it's I think it's definitely worth talking about in an, in academic circles. Um, so what else did we do that term? Um, it was so also that term was experimental comedy, where you would play with an aspect of stand up comedy and then uh, then you would explore it um, through a through a a semi-quasi-presentation slash 20 to 25 minute stand-up set um, which was really cool it was really cool I'll explain what that means so for example to take my, my one wasn't the best example of this but it's the one I'm most familiar with because <laughs> it's what I've done um, was um, playing with the idea of cutting off your senses from the audience so I performed with a blindfold on playing white noise into my ears and seeing how that affected the the show and what I could play with in relation to that yeah and it was it was weird <laughs> uh, was my finding <laughs> right okay um, but there, and there were loads of other ideas like um, using stand-up as therapy using stand-up um, um, flipping the flipping uh, not flipping but rather playing with the audience um, as an observer versus performer so how can you get the audience uh, in a more performative role in your stand-up and there was all these 
um, really cool ideas that we all got to perform to each other. So it was really nice. And then for the final time, I think all we did was like um, last showcase. So we do like a half an hour, 20 to half an hour. I can't remember the exact time of all our best bits, yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially. And that was that was my fourth year of university. Wow, that's amazing. It, it was and it wasn't. <laughs> it was cool. I'm glad that I, I did it. Yeah. Got it out of my system because I don't do stand up anymore. Yeah, and no, I was just, that's literally what I was going to say. So, you know, after after studying it, after getting qualified in it, you decided that you. Like most people at university, <laughs> they, will, they will study something like history or geography it. and never use it. <laughs> uh, I'm working in a school now, which is probably on par, <laughs> I think. I mean, you could have performed, and you know, when people didn't find you funny, it's like you know, well, I'm, I'm qualified. <laughs> I mean, you know, like you can't, this this piece of paper does not lie. It's been <laughs> yeah, exactly. moderated yeah, quite exactly. extensively, peer reviewed, possibly. I am funny. <laughs> I've got. <laughs> so why not stand up comedy? Uh, why just, share the glory? Why not have it all for yourself? Uh, I don't enjoy it that much. Yeah. I think I think the London open mic scene killed it a bit for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit. It was just quite not very nice. Right. I yeah, think. Yeah. I think. And uh, this isn't um, against all standups, but I think a lot of standups on the way up, um, they're, fa- they're they're competitive. And I don't think there's necessarily a problem being competitive. But when it's competitive at the expense of like being nice to people, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, then it kind yeah. of is a problem. Yes. And there were lo- there were a lot there were lots of nice people yes. I met. And I don't know, it's sort of like I really enjoyed the writing process of stand up and right. for for quite a while I enjoyed performing. But it just I don't know, it lost its yes. luster to me. I did it for a couple of years. I just it just wasn't my bag. I'm I learned a lot from doing it. Yeah. But I'm and I do sometimes think about doing it but I think I watched an open mic quite recently and went oh god I never want to do this again <laughs> I think uh, I find it really interesting watching open mics but the problem is I have kind of a limited tolerance to stand up and after about the first 20 people I'm like oh I've had enough now. yeah exactly it's when, just when I say 20 I don't mean 20 <laughs> it feels like 20 it's like oh oh no, yeah. I start to hate stand up, and then after a while, I hate to hate, start to hate everything, and it's just like you know. Yeah, it's a spiral. That's why you don't you don't want to go to a stand up night and come out hating everything. Yeah. That's the exact opposite of what yeah. a stand up night's supposed to do. <laughs> Unless you are a stand up, of course, and then it's perfectly allowed to hate everything. But that's the thing. I I find it so weird. Even if your whole shtick is that you're like a, a bit of a downer and stuff, which I could sometimes play. So like you're doing comedy, you should be having fun with it. <laughs> and like quite often, people that were doing it yeah. clearly weren't having fun with it. <laughs> it's like, what's the point? Like you're clearly not getting paid that much for this. And like it's so hard to get paid for it. So you you have to enjoy it. There's no point in giving up your spare time to do this. Yes, you're not going to get rich from it. Very unlikely you're going to get rich. Exactly. From it. You might as well enjoy it. Yeah. Other there's absolutely no point if you don't enjoy something. I don't think you should do it. That's a good takeaway message for all our listeners. Yeah, follow follow the MC <laughs> Something you do enjoy and you mentioned was writing. Is that something yeah. you're exploring at the moment? I mean, I've been working with um, Emily Murphy uh, and Mark Rule and Sally Hodgkiss from the Science of Living Things, and um, this is the coterie. It is the coterie. Yeah, we are doing sketch show which is really I'm really enjoying it actually it's tell me how to do sketches because I find the whole the whole thing mysterious and arcane and how do you find how do you find how do you find funny things in the first place and then how do you make sure they stay funny when you do them again um, if you could just answer that that would be really helpful <laughs> yeah. cool. I'll try and then I'll be really good at sketch comedy <laughs> make it really sound bitey tell me about your process Um, the thing is I'm super new to it so this is coming from a real newbie to it but the way that we've been generating material is through improvisation because that's how we know each other and that's how we work best together I'm not sure that's necessarily true but that's how we've been working together for so long so 
we improvise a bunch of scenes off a stimulus. It might be a word or an opening or whatever. Then we will perform these scenes. Then we might perform the scenes again, focusing on what made this scene funny or what, whatever, and then record it um, again. Because both the times we will, quite often we'll record both. Audio rather than video. Yeah, yeah, audio. And then we might sort of, if so there's something funny there but it's not working, we might just take one funny idea or one funny character and try it in a new location. Right. Much um, as you would in, uh, you know, in a show. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, improv show, you might. Yeah. So once you found the funny character, you then try and think, well, where else could this person do their thing that would be funny? Exactly. I think, and it's just so much easier, I think, than just sitting around a blank white piece of paper <laughs> sort of going, what's funny? What's funny in the world? Where well, do we start? Well, it's me doing an American accent. That's what <laughs> exactly. Only 40% of the time. <laughs> but yeah, I just it, it's easier that way. Um, and as a result, actually, once because then it is easier to sort of transcribe it and then look at it as a script and then sort of look at it and go, well, that's, that is still funny. I read that and I still find that funny, but I don't find that bit funny. Or, like, if you look at a lot of improv scenes written up, not that this happens often, but if you write up an improv scene, quite often you'll find there's a lot of chaff in there. Yeah. I, I don't mean that in a, in no, a no, bad no. way, but, like, if it... <laughs> Like here's a good way of putting it. There was a um, there was some scenes that we did that worked really well as improv scenes, but when you put them on a script, it makes you look batshit. Like, it makes you look so insane. And it's so like if you perform that to someone, that people will be thinking, like, where did this come from? Like why? Like it's I guess it's funny, but why did you? How did you generate? Like, when did you sit around a table for that? Guys, I've got this great idea. <laughs> and it, yeah. So, it, so it is. We take. I think. Because there are different expectations. If it's yeah, an improvised show, then that's you know, when you come up with batshit crazy stuff, then it's like, well, you were making it up at the, at the moment. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if we're watching a sketch show. I'm expecting that this is homes that you know. Yeah, however, they've exactly. created it. They've taken the funniest bits and they're giving me the funniest bits. That, that is exactly it. In in it's, in anything that's been pre-written up, it's probably been uh, rewritten several times at least. So what you're presenting to the audience is like, we know this is funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I think sometimes, or quite often, an audience will sort of want to be impressed. Was with you don't get that as much from an improv audience as you says. Um, well, they wouldn't be impressed in a different sort of way. Exactly. Yeah, they wouldn't be impressed that you could just make it up on the spot. Yeah. And, you know, the quality isn't maybe as important as if you know you said right. Well, we've honed this. You know. I, th- I think the quality is as important, but it's as you say, it's a different. They're looking for different stuff, yeah. like a sketch audience isn't necessarily an improv audience and yes. vice versa. Yes. Like stuff that an improv audience would love, a sketch audience wouldn't necessarily love. And yes. You can flip that back and forth. They can be the same, but you, if you set up a night, even, even the same people, you set up a night for improv and you set up a night for a stand-up or a sitcom pilot or whatever, people's sensibilities change immediately. And it will affect how they view the final product, whatever that is, yeah. whatever that show ends up being. And it's really interesting. It's like it's so important how you set up a night, really. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a forgotten thing, I think, quite a lot of the time. Because what sort of thing are you thinking of? Like Nick Napier talked about this in his book. Like, for instance, if you go to a Harold night. Like, quite often, and I'm not really sure where I fall on this, quite often, if you're an outside audience member and you haven't seen a Harold before, you haven't done a Harold or whatever, it's, it can seem quite impenetrable. It can seem like, what is going on? Um, and Mick Napier argues we should be kinder about that. Uh, maybe kinder is the wrong word, but certainly we should be more inclusive about it and sort of go give it like a brief sort of thing this is what a Harold is like you don't need to like 
sort of diagram yeah, or anything yeah, yeah, yeah. and take them through. In this beat, we're going to be heightening stuff. In the group game, there's a certain number of exercises you can do, but you can also do... So it, it's just to set it up, like quite often coming on stage and sort of going, we're improv, we're going to make something up, isn't being very inclusive, especially to an audience member that hasn't seen it before. So I remember a friend of mine, this was only a couple of weeks ago, uh, saw me perform for the first time, and luckily he enjoyed it, but he's a friend, so of course he's <laughs> yeah. going to say that. But he, he said, it's funny, but you only use, because uh, this was talking about science of living things, and we just got a one word, and then we sort of base, very much like loads of improvisers, we base the scenes around it. We don't necessarily use it as a direct call. Uh, the word itself was actually Maltesers. So we set scenes like the Maltesers were probably in one scene, probably our first scene. Then we were in a chocolate factory, or we were talking about being Moorish, and all these, like, trying to uh, address themes. So by saying um, all, all our scenes are going to be based on Maltesers, um, we're kind to someone who hasn't seen it before, they're going to think, oh, all the scenes are going to be about Maltesers. <laughs> and no one wants to see that show, but that's, that's what they'd be expecting to see. So it's, it's just slight wording. It's all going, it's going to, we're going to be inspired. We're going to work from the idea of Maltesers rather than we're going to have Maltesers, 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 Maltesers. Let's <laughs> talk about that idea. I quite like it. Uh, I think you're right, it would be terrible. <laughs> the Malteser <laughs> show. <laughs> well, I mean, anyway, it's a chopper, really. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I, do, I do genuinely love Maltesers. I love Maltesers as well, yeah. I think they're lovely. Yeah. Have you tried the ones in the bar? Yes. Yeah, how do you feel that compares to the original? I like the change. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's refreshing. <laughs> to see it in a completely different form especially because that's the whole thing that they're just like chocolate balls with like bit like what's biscuits honeycomb. stuff in it it's honeycomb not, no, it's not honeycomb but it's that sort of thing it's the consistency of honeycomb yeah it's not honeycomb but yeah it's that sort of thing that's a good way of ex- explaining yeah. it it's like honeycomb yeah. without the without honey <laughs> <laughs> chocolate covered in no combs covered in chocolate I don't know it's weird um yeah so yeah uh, yeah Montezas I didn't really imagine that I would be describing them so, um, no, I'm not going to use Siri. Uh, that would be wrong. Um, anyway, so Maltesers, yes, they're very good. Just look up. While this. Roughly, oh no, they do say, oh, it's honeycomb like. Maltesers consist of a roughly spherical. I like the way it says roughly spherical. <laughs> this is perfectly round. What's going on here? Uh, well, well, that's rubbish. We we could have said, well, we did say that. It's like it's kind of honeycomb. Yes, the spherical malt. Malt. I think malt oh, was malt, a crucial yes. word that I was using there. Honeycomb-like structured centre surrounded by milk chocolate. Isn't that lovely now? You, you No longer do you have pub discussions where you sort of go, no, I swear it's this. I swear it's this. Like, now just Google it. Oh, we just, be done we with just it. move on. The amount of um, times in the office I've gone, look, should we just look it up? Because, like, <laughs> you know, we can move on then. It's like we're not, get on with our lives. Yeah, we're not stuck on the, like, say, so what is it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, it's a bit like um, I think that's brilliant, I think. And also, <laughs> when people try and give you directions now, I just go, don't. Try and say it like <laughs> that. Like, I can't take it in like that. Just look at it on the computer. Yeah, it's just so much easier. Or I won't try and describe where something is. I'm just like, here's a picture of it. <laughs> now you can see. Let's move on with our lives. Modern life, I think. Uh, cool. We live in the future. And we do live in the future. It's exciting. I genuinely love the fact that if I'm going somewhere, I can type in where I'm starting and where I'm finishing. And then Google will part of route for me and also take me uh, tell me how long it's roughly going to take I know I and love then, that and then also I can actually look up what the streets look like so I'm not going to get lost and then I know what the buildings are going to look like when I get there it's brilliant isn't it I love living so in the good. future yeah? imagine living with maps how horrible that was well, I love the maps but you know I don't know it's just A to Z where's an A to Z these days exactly it's so weird like this massive book that you have to take everywhere we can get get the mini or smaller version I suppose that's true I mean maybe you were uh, I can't take the big version (laughs) all the detail of all the roads everywhere just in case just in case I go somewhere else I'm moving off the map what am I going to (laughs) do some charted territory So, uh, in addition to doing Maltesers based uh, <laughs> every week, guys, <laughs> with the science of doing things, 
You're also involved in Countdown to Doom? Yeah. What's the Countdown to Doom thing? So Countdown to Doom is, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of words in this description, <laughs> uh, a narrative apocalypse um, torch-lit long-form improv show. Wow! <laughs> Which Let's... is murder for marketing. <laughs> yeah, it's quite hard to tweet. Uh, that sort of <laughs> yeah. So okay, so let's break that down. So uh, in yeah. the science of living things, um, you're doing non-narrative. Yeah. With countdown to doom, you're doing narrative. Yeah. Explain. So the way this is pretty much the way every countdown to doom show works. There'll be an A and B thread running throughout the show. So there'll be. Um, Two characters. Um, so uh, to start off, we'll get a location. Um, that um, Greg's. Yeah, for example, Greg's. <laughs> um, How often does that happen? Um, the show hasn't happened that often, which makes oh, right. it a special occasion show. Oh, Halloween. Oh right, okay. We're doing it really soon. I'm really excited for the Camden Fringe. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, you can imagine the locations we get and go. Nah, we'd like something else. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald, we That's are inside Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. We are the numbskulls for the scene, guys. Um, so, yeah, so we would get a location. There will be an A scene and a B scene uh, with, yeah, um, usually, uh, for the sake of argument, there will be two improvisers um, establishing who they are to each other in the A, same as in the B. So we just get to know the guys, um, either end up liking them or disliking them. And then, two th- uh, and as well as making, uh, foreshadowing the eventual apocalypse that will eventually oh, happen, wow. which is established um, through um, just like offers about the scenery and stuff like that. I mean, as you would. Um, so, and then we build on them as it gets closer to what we call the doom. So, in the last third of the show, um, we plunge everything into darkness. Wow. And the final third of the show is lit by torches. Oh, wow. So we use the torches, not necessarily to... I mean, it, it is to illuminate the performers. But I guess a good way of thinking about it is kind of like a comic book or the movie format, for example, where you would, like, for instance, if someone's doing something with their hands, you might shine the torch in the hands because you're showing this is where the focus of the scene is at the moment. And then you'll shine it up to someone's face when they're talking or um, expressing an emotion or whatever. And we can also use the torches um, for scenery and stuff. Um, so, like, if it's an elevator, you can, like, carry clicking off a torch, going boop, bing, bing, and moving wow. the torch up and yeah. down yeah, to show yeah. it's going up and down flights of stairs. Um, sorry, flights of um, floors, rather. Um, and, like, you can do... what One thing that's really cool that happens in every show is there's always a character smoking, so we've got these really cool small torches that in the dark look amazing, and you just click it when you, when you suck in, and it looks like you're smoking. And um, so, yeah, and then basically in that last third of the show, the when the lights go off, the, the, the apocalypse scenario or the doom in that small environment has reached a critical mass where it can no longer be reversed, so the characters start to suffer from it. So the first two thirds of the show are building it up, like we either like or hate these people, and then we put them in a situation where you see them suffer or in a tense environment and people get killed off and stuff like that. Usually in the last couple of minutes because you don't really want something to die off (laughs) unless they're a walk-on character because that makes the last third really hard otherwise. (laughs) But it's such a fun show to do. It's really fun to do. And is it more or less challenging making it narrative as opposed to non-narrative? Is it just different? I'd say it's more different. It was more challenging when we started, but because we do quite a simple structure with the A and the B, so very, quite rarely are there character crossovers. They, well, that's not necessarily true, but you, you always have the, usually have two focus points, and these are the focus points you tend to go back to. And once we feel comfortable with that, we might start crossing over and stuff. But it's always useful to have two separate scenes going on 
just so he can flip back and forth between the action and do time jumps and oh, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah, because it's because we're just focusing on the relationship or dynamic or whatever you want to call it between um, the pairs. It um, it does make it quite easy because then you, all you have to think of really is well, two things: is what's happening in front of you. How do you feel about this person in front of you, and just playing with that, as well as any time someone drops an offer of what the apocalypse situation situation might be, you just carry on building on that and just be aware of that. Because one interesting thing we used to do when we tried to be, I think, a little bit too clever about it, is we used to do red herrings, which doesn't really work in improv that well because it, essentially that's just blocking someone's offer <laughs> like it's just dropping something it's just sort of like like if someone sneezes in something like like intentionally like the performer sneezes yeah. you know they're making offer there is some sort of um parasite or plague yes. or illness or something yes. like that so if that's dropped then it's kind of like well we're starting from square one again we need to find what the what the doomed situation is and it made it so much harder oh yeah that sounds really hard that, that actually reminds me of the first time um, I was I started doing long form and it was with a bunch of guys at university who thought we were all a bunch of clever clogsers um, who made, tried to make these really far-reaching narrative stories with loads of twists and turns and it's like so hard and like it's not very it's it's only satisfying if it works but it doesn't work that often it should never really be the focus to be clever in a narrative it's focusing what's in front of you because it makes it so much easier and then when links do start appearing then it looks great and you get that you achieve the same effect yeah so that was the earlier days of doing narrative improv but I guess you have to learn really yes you do have to learn but yeah, I, I really love the show. I really love the show. It's, it feels very different to what I normally do, especially with the science of living thing. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I really love it. Yeah, it's nice to have you know the two different you know styles and yeah. sides of improv and explore both of those. Um, but yes, you mentioned earlier about setting up your own group. Yeah. What was the What was the impetus for that? Because also, it would be nice to listen back to this later on and see whether yeah, <laughs> whether you achieved your goal. That's or, true. Whether they, I mean, they're going to progress, you know, when you get the people on board and all that yeah. sort of thing. So, what made you want to direct? So, I wanted to start coaching like about a year or so ago, um, because to go back a little bit, um, when we first joined the Science of Living Things, that was um, Chris Mead putting that together and he sent out um, a casting call and that's how the original members got started in that. And he said, I can't remember which person said this to him, but the best way to, one of the best ways rather, to improve as a performer is to teach it. Yes. And I was sort. I started thinking about that about a year, maybe more ago, and thought, "Yeah, I really want to do that as well." And I did um, this course with Spontaneity Shop um, over a little bit over a year ago, and I met a bunch of people on on there that were pretty new, and thought, "Okay, cool. I'd, I'd quite like to work with these guys because I was um, like, um, I knew a lot more about it. I've been doing it for quite a bit longer than they had." So I formed, um, with those guys, a group together. So we, I was working with them for about a year. And when we um, stopped doing that, um, I sort of thought, you know what, I'd love to do that again, but I'd like to come at it from a different way. I'd like to come at it from um, casting a group because I think that would be really fun. Yes. Like, I want to I wanna have something, uh, I want to sort of up my coaching Yes. experience yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on a on a weekly basis so I thought this is probably the best way to do it so I was I was getting um, coaching gigs every so often but it wasn't really enough I, I didn't feel like I was progressing enough yeah. like doing one every couple of months or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that so that's basically what led me to do that really and I had a lovely the, the two days that I auditioned people were so much fun yeah. and everyone was really great in it and yeah. it was and I I do mean that genuinely as well. Uh, otherwise, I would not have said it. No, of course not. Of course I, I can not. be a very blunt person, so I'm very much aware of that, as anyone that's ever worked with me will also attest to. So when I, you know, when I say that, I do actually mean that it was a lot of fun, and 
the people there were really great and really up for it. And yeah, it was it was brilliant fun. So what sort of things did you do with the audition? What did you get people doing? I can, I, um, did you just say, just, you know, impress me? Yeah, what I just sort of sat there and went, do an improv. <laughs> and they sort do of, the improv. And they sort yeah. of looked at me and went, what? And I said, no questions. <laughs> um, do it again. <laughs> do it Make some statements, people. Um, so I, we just did a couple of warm-ups. Um, I got them to do... Um, I can tell you this. We did, we did uh, a tag run, so we all um, went in a circle. Two people did an organic scene. By organic scene, I mean just giving a word and see what comes from it. And then people would tag into that and do that for about 10 minutes. We did that a couple of times. Um, then we did, um, I think it's a Dave Rosowski uh, exercise with the two chairs. Yes, yes, yes. yes I think yes. was introduced to me by Jules, yes. Jules Munns. And I thought that was really cool. So it's like, yeah, I, I, it's one of the things I'm looking for. It's like I was saying the commitment things, commitment to uh, the dynamic between the two performers and commitment to in the scene. So it's like, oh, that's a really good testing ground and possibly quite tricky to people if they're used to just taking a word or uh, commenting on a scene rather than really being in it. The, the reason those scenes float so well is because of however you're working with the person opposite you. And then at the end, we just did, um, I split the group, uh, the whole group into two, got them to do a short um, bunch of montages, which is basically um, start with a, just do a bunch of organic scenes and you can tag and sweep. Yeah. Um, and then they would do another one. And for hours, just giving general feedback rather than uh, specific feedback so anything that would be massively useful uh, it was really fun uh, I, I, I tried to think about it from so I asked um, Chris about it because um, he was he was my coach way back when it's like oh do you have any advice and he and he said something really good and he sort of said like aim to work with the improvisers you want to work with because when I was originally planning out the audition I was sort of thinking oh what would people want me to do like based on their applications and stuff like that I sort of went oh no that's wrong like I should I should be sort of going well no this is what I this is kind of like I if I'm coaching this it's going to have a lot of me in it yes although I'm open to so I haven't picked a format or anything but it should be I should be happy to work with the people that I want to work with rather than catering to them so, yeah. it's, so we find a nice middle ground like so I like a lot of your stuff hopefully you like a lot of my stuff rather than oh here's all the stuff you want to do yeah. I don't not really that interested <laughs> in that kind of thing yeah there doesn't seem much point in that no exactly so if it's not fun don't do it Stuart <laughs> that's, do not do that's it that's the same message so true <laughs> uh, it's, it's a good message uh, so um, so you've You've now cast it? I have, yeah. And we haven't had the first rehearsal. No, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's really exciting. Um, yeah. So that's, what, that's all I know. That's the end yeah. of this, the, yeah. the, the story so far. So I'll be really excited to see how it goes. And I think um, however it goes, and I'm pretty sure it'll go positively. Yeah. But you don't know. It's going to be a real learning experience. And I feel really excited about it. I feel really great about it. I've got some awesome people and people were so lovely actually when I posted it um, Steve posted on the Hoopla page and a bunch of people that I know in the improv community also posted it and I got uh, applications from people that were like why are you applying to, to have me coach you that's, that's ridiculous and it was so nice and it was yeah it was really humbling and I do mean that actually yeah. it was it was genuinely very humbling so I got I even had to turn people away and I felt so bad about it but it was like but it was it was amazing to be in that experience at the same time. Like, I don't want to say it was amazing to turn people away, no, but no, it no, was. No. But it was just to know there are that many people out there wanting to, you know, form, uh, to join. You know, yeah, a form a group. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. it was really exciting and and it was lovely and it's just like it was so exciting. It's just been so fun. Yeah. So hopefully I'm going to learn loads from it. That's that's this. It's going to be fun. And I'm going to learn loads from it. Brilliant. Really yeah, cool. I'm really excited, man. We'll have to check in uh, another time and uh, yeah, see, that, see, see whether you did that. That would be so interesting, yeah. listening to that back. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, no, it's interesting that the, there are so many people out there wanting to join in a group. I just, I don't know. I almost think, is there something that, I don't know, how could you help those people find a group? I don't know. 
I, I have been thinking about this because I've had similar thoughts really and it would be nice if there was kind of a setup where um, there was kind of a I don't know yeah a sort of a, a way to get people together who want to set up a group and run with it if it was because I think a lot of the time um, people either lack the organisational abilities <laughs> um, or they're far too nervous to approach people yeah. or they're lazy <laughs> uh, and a lot of people fall into those three categories I think yes um, so it is it would be nice to have something in place for that especially if you're new because it's terrifying yeah. it's so terrifying at first yeah. doing anything performancey, yeah. especially improv because occasionally and this is so like not a good do not take this as a piece of advice <laughs> but occasionally before a show like where I'm going to do a half hour or something I'll think so I'm about to do a half hour show which I don't know anything that's going to happen and it's got to be consistently good and funny throughout that entire half an hour <laughs> do not have that mentality going on stage but I, I ever, ever since I first thought of it and went ah oh, that's that's an interesting way of thinking I could not avoid thinking about that every time I go on stage now <laughs> and it's so, yeah, it's a really bad way to think. But luckily, I don't get too nervous when I go on stage. That's now. interesting. It is have really you, interesting. Have you never got nervous? I used to get painfully nervous right. before. Like, yeah, like, I mean, I used to be so anxious as a kid. Like, so when whenever like family members say, uh, like my mum and my dad um, say, like, oh. Liam's doing comedy they always say stand-up which I hate they always say that so, as like so my uncle go so Liam I hear you're doing stand-up now all my, all my family are Irish and uh, I said well no I don't I, I used to be like quite cool about it and just sort of go oh yeah yeah I'm doing comedy stuff whereas uh, now I sort of go oh no I don't do stand-up I haven't done it for a number of years now I do a thing called improv oh what's improv I said, oh, no how do you explain improv to you uncle because um, anytime I say it to anyone actually they go oh like whose line is it anyway it's like oh, no not really again it was kind of at first it was like yeah sort of and now it's like no not really it's, no it isn't particularly it's just it's a, I just sort of keep it quite brief because otherwise I just go on and it's like we just go on stage and sort of make it up on the spot really <laughs> I just say it's an improvised sketch show it's a made up sketch show right because they know what sketch show is and yeah. then if you just put made up made up I think it's a they still won't entirely understand what it is and it's like if you haven't seen it before it's quite a difficult yeah. thing to get your head around it whereas stand up that's synonymous with comedy yes. now like ridiculously so if you say you're doing comedy people sort of go oh you're doing stand up yeah it's like well actually I've got a degree in stand up comedy <laughs> um, yeah been there and also <laughs> done that <laughs> here's my paper I bring it everywhere with me um, yeah what was the original because I think I didn't answer your question <laughs> I think you did well I would uh, well we were talking about because um, well, you were talking about um, casting and then we were oh, talking yeah, about course. how it would be great if there was a way of oh yeah 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 of course yeah I'd really love that to to happen it's I'd really like, like is it is it a no, is it is it a notice board type I'm using really antiquated internet tech, uh, words here but you know is it kind of like I'm looking to form a group that does this, this, and this. Or is it a real life thing? But is that too scary to meet people in real life and say, oh, do you want to form a group? I don't know. Maybe. I th you know what I think it might be, actually? I think if you... I think quite often, I think it's rare that this doesn't happen. Someone has to be a kind of has to kind of take charge yes. of the organizational aspect yes. of it no matter how much you say we're going to share responsibilities it does it's, not it's not going to happen it never happens it never happens especially like if you've got like six people in a group and you start divvying up responsibilities you start making up responsibilities like your social media manager and stuff like that it's like you're going to start doing our blog and it's like really there's no point though really is there like, unless you want to do a blog, go ahead. But like, that shouldn't be a job title for a group. Um, and I think, and it's lovely to sort of everyone. And I think actually this should be the way that everyone has a voice in the group. Yeah. But I think it's so useful to have someone 
who ties it all together. And I think if it's a bunch of new people coming together to form an improv group, and quite often these people are coming from limited... There are a lot of people that are coming from quite a lot of stage experience and performance experience and stuff. But certainly more recently, I'd say, there's a lot of people that haven't come from that... Um, that background so they don't really know what to do and it is it's so difficult when you're a new group like if you've come out of like any of the wonderful courses that are now about like hoopla and fa and all this kind of stuff and you sort of like great got the skills now or the, at least the beginnings of these skills what do i do now yeah i guess we form a group and the problem is, if you don't hire a coach or you have someone who's a bit more knowledgeable in the group, you're going to be—you're actually going to end up doing bastardized versions of the exercises that you've been taught. Yeah. And quite often that will be to the detriment of the group because you'll be doing the exercise in a way that isn't necessarily conducive to um, making progress. I don't really want to use the term wrong because. Any exercise can be used in any number of ways uh, if you change the focus up of it. But if you're just doing any exercise, like so many rehearsals with new people are just like all the exercises they really like. Yes. And I think it has been really useful working in a school these past couple of years because actually you sort of think, well, what's the learning objective of yes. today's rehearsal what do we want to go away from today's rehearsal feeling and that might just be fun it's like i we've been working really hard we want to have fun we're new we just want to we just want to fuck around a little bit and have fun and sort of like enjoy improv for the fact that it's fun um but then you might get to a point it's like i want to get really good at doing characters i want to get really good at mine but often that transcribes as well we had a, we had one session of mime in a course we did let's do the exercise from that yeah and then you've kind of got nowhere to go from it yeah so it's so hard like it really is hard and there isn't i mean i don't know if there unfortunately i don't know if there's a solution to it Stuart. <laughs> oh, that's a shame because i was going to say what's the solution here <laughs> I, I i i have a couple of ideas. I think if... I don't know, if there was sort of something... If there was a safety net, I guess. Like, stuff like the Launchpad shows are really good for that kind of thing. And end of course shows and stuff like that. So there's a place for newbies to perform. And there'll probably be people in the audience that you can talk and share ideas with. So I think if that developed, we'd be getting a lot of um, more sort of more well-rounded performers and performers that are a lot more confident and performers that sort of have a bit more direction. So I find it so crazy and no offense to anyone that does do this, that when like um, a new group forms a night and good on you that that takes some balls I think I think that takes some real guts um, to sort of go we're gonna form a night we're not doing this very long but then then they'll put themselves on at the end for 40 minutes yeah and it's like you gotta work up to that yeah you do yeah. it's like get a good 15 before yeah. you even before you do a 25 I think with this stand-up that's uh, that's a route more you know, people they have three or five. Yeah. And so they build up that way. So I don't know if it's as recognised an improv for that. Yeah, way. I'd say it isn't. I mean, because you, you sort of want longer. Because three to five minutes doing an improv show is not very yeah, yeah. satisfying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but if you sort of yeah, if you start with fifteen, but then you know. I mean, even if you're running the night, I think there's no there's no shame in sort of. I think it's very commendable if you sort of go, well, we're going to do a 15 minutes, but because we're like quite, we're a short form group, we're really quick, that's what we're really good at, we're quick, let's open the night, let's not close the night with a 40 minute short form team. Or like, oh, we do a nice musical number, but the groups that we're getting in are much more experienced than us. So let's close the first half with us, because it's, it's yeah. always brilliant to close on a yeah, musical act, yeah, it's yeah. so hard to follow them, because it's so impressive. Yeah. Um, as long as you're half decent at musical improv, it is super impressive. Yes. Uh, and yeah, uh, and then let's put the the main act on after this. Yes. So I wish people would sort of 
I guess it, I guess it's just having that knowledge. It's because I only have that knowledge from having made those mistakes. Yes. To be honest, so maybe it is quite useful. Yes. But I think it will cut out a lot of things if you just sort of go. If there, I don't know. I, yeah, if there was just something in place, but I don't quite know what that is. But I have, I have actually genuinely been thinking about that quite a lot recently. Which is even why in the in the casting call I put out, I want, I want a, a performers of different experience levels because I don't necessarily want to just work with people that have been doing it ages. But I also don't necessarily want to work with people that have just started. Yeah. So I think it's nice just having that mix you yeah. can learn a lot from each other I yeah. think I mean I, I, I'm very much a fan of it when it comes to improv groups having a mix of um, beginners and experienced people and uh, genders and ages yeah. and it's, it's weird you need you need sort of common ground mm. so that they need to feel like they're part of the same group but I don't want them all to be the same within that group yeah I think that's a great way of putting it you want them I'm trying to think of a really clever analogy. Here. I'm trying <laughs> to intellectualise it. Yes. Damn it! Oh, but yeah, it's. I mean, for want of a analogies are hard. Analogies are hard. Um, but you, yeah, you do want them sort of. You want them to have, I think, a similar enough philosophy that they can work together. Yes. But you don't exactly, as you say, you don't want them doing exactly. You don't want them good at the same thing. You don't want everyone to be super great at character, but then not so great at edits, for example. Just, just yeah. for the sake of argument. Um, you, I think that's what's been nice in all the groups I've worked with so far. There has been quite a nice mixture of people. But I'd like to think. Uh, and I do think we sing from the same hymn sheet, as it were, but we're not all singing at the same note. Boom! <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> oh, man, they're so damn chuffed. Yes, quite rightly so. Brilliant. That's a fantastic note to leave it on. Thank you very much. Thank indeed. you, man. Thank you. I made this. That's improv! <laughs>